Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Good morning. Uh, here we are from our, what episode is this, Jake? Eight. Eight, episode eight. Oh, good morning, Jake. Good morning, Jess. Good morning, Mark. How you going, guys? Uh, okay, what a beautiful day here since you're looking down William Street. Traffic's going heavy. Uh, we'll give a traffic report later. Okay, anyway, importantly, last week... Bruce Bilson, the Minister for Small Business, Evangelical Bill, or he's in the Sydney Morning Herald, has been called the Evangelist for Small Business. Uh, what, what does the Prime Minister call him? He calls him Pastor Bruce. Pastor what? Bruce. Pastor well, Bruce. the guy is very, very polished. And I put to him, I said, Bruce, or should I say Minister, would you go and see the Prime Minister and put to him that we create the Prime Ministerial Award for small business owners in Australia annually. And this is what he had to say. Let's work to see if we can get another uh, um, attestation to it, which is Mark Boris helped to celebrate, highlight, elevate the nation's appreciation of these enterprising men and women in small business and family enterprise. I'll accept that if Bruce Wilson does it alongside me. Yeah, well, well, we might look like twins, mate, separated at birth, but I'm prepared to take that risk. Um, you're obviously Arnie. <laughs> okay, last week uh, I asked you if uh, send in your YouTube videos. Uh, some were okay, some were fucking crap. Uh, but that's okay, we'll talk about them too. Uh, we're going to put a few of those up on the podcast and uh, I'm going to talk about about four or five of them today. Um, look, maybe one or two of them is worthwhile bringing in. But I, what I want to do is I want to talk about those ones I don't want to bring in, why they're not worthwhile. Because I think it's just as important to talk about the ones that uh, shit house and uh, tell them why. Because uh, let's give them some feedback. Let's just, just, let's just not just throw them in a pile of shit. Let's actually tell them something positive and maybe they want to resubmit. This week's top five. Just quickly talking about the uh, our top five, uh, not a lot happened, but the Westpac uh, Consumer Index, the Confidence Index, the index that actually measures or takes a sample and tries to extrapolate from that, the measurement of uh, confidence in our uh, system, that's consumer confidence. Now, we're not talking about business confidence. We're not talking about small business. We're talking about consumers who business deal with. Um, it came out as 102, and that means not a lot, but basically what it means is there's more optimists than there are pessimists. It's a narrow uh, win, you know, the optimists got their head out in front. 
Uh, that's pretty important. Um, and I guess largely that will come off the back of the interest rate reduction because, you know, everyone loves an interest rate reduction. What we're not doing is looking behind why there is an interest rate reduction. Usually there's an interest rate reduction at these levels anyway because the government's not that optimistic and or the Reserve Bank's not that optimistic. So optimists are now ahead of the Reserve Bank. The Reserve Bank achieved their outcome. Uh, people are feeling pretty happy with themselves at a consumer level. Let's see if that translates into the business confidence levels that will come out shortly with the NAB, the NAB numbers. From Mark's Mind. Well, I've been inundated with requests for advice, support, inspiration, money as part of the Fairgo campaign. Um, the Fairgo campaign is a campaign whereby uh, we are saying that if uh, you are not happy with what they're doing on Channel 10 with the Shark Tank and you want to actually have a fair go, you send your YouTube video in about your business pitch. Uh, tell me what you're looking for. Tell me what your business is about. And I will uh, then choose from that a, a person to come in each uh, fortnight and stand here and make a pitch in front of me. We're going to video it. We're going to put it up on our podcast. And uh, hopefully we can raise some money for these guys and or bring up some mentorship programs and or sort of act as an exchange between people who want to help small business owners who are starting up a small business and or have a small business and on the flip side of that, get all small business owners who are looking for help to put up what it is they're looking for. So we sort of become like a small business exchange um, and and that's quite an interesting concept to create. So we've got... uh, Five that we've chosen, uh, not necessarily chosen because they're one, one, two, three, four, and five. In other words, you know, they're all going to medal. No, some are good, some are crap. And the, the game here is to explain to you why these ones are crap and why these ones are good. Mark, we're going to start with Lindsay Spencer Matthews. He's a registered psychologist. He's written a book called Why Clever People Do Dumb Things. Hello, Mark. I'm Lindsay Spencer Matthews, and I'm the great change maker. Mark, I've been a registered psychologist for over 20 years of a 40-year business career. And I've discovered more and more often I'm seeing busy executives and business owners who are happy and successful on the outside but struggling on the inside. And I've discovered that my process and my approach really helps these people change the way they think about the way they think. But I was really getting frustrated by the fact that I could only touch 300 or so lives a year. And... I've kind of got a bigger agenda than that. So I wrote a book called Why Clever People Do Dumb Things. And that's at the heart of the process that I use to help people change the way they think about the way they think. So the book's going to help me touch more than 300 lives a year, but it's not enough for to satisfy my need. So what I'm reaching out to you for, what I'm hoping you and your program is going to be able to help me do is to help maybe 3,000 people or 30,000 people a year because I'm a reasonably good public speaker. I've done a fair amount of it. I've taught at university. I've done a bunch of keynotes and seminars and I really want to get into that avenue. So I'm looking to leverage you and your network and I mean this is going to cost almost nothing, Mark. I'm not looking for money. What I'm looking for is the opportunity to leverage my own skills to redirect my career into something that I'm equally good at I'm a pretty good one-on-one psychologist, but I'm also a pretty darn good public speaker. So I'm really hoping that I can call on you and your network to help leverage me, leveraging me into the world of keynote speaking and public speaking. Well, it's an interesting one. Um, his pitch, he, look, he speaks very well. He's obviously very well educated. Um, he, he addressed 
what he's looking for, but he didn't tell me what his content's about. I mean, I don't have, haven't got a clue what his book's about. I haven't bought his book, so he probably should have given me a little pricey about what the book's about first. Like, you know, he could have done that in three paragraphs. Uh, why clever people do dumb things. I mean, what the hell is he fucking talking about? Like, uh, so the, the second thing is he wants to get on the speaker circuit. I don't know why he wants to get on the speaker circuit. Is that to promote his book to get more sales or is it to get more people connecting to him in um, in a franchising sense? I mean, I, I don't really understand how he's going to do three. If he's doing 300 a year, how's he going to do 3,000? I think he actually went out to 30,000 at one stage. I mean, how can he possibly see 30,000 people? So I'm just trying to work out what his game is. Um, he needs to come back to me and tell me, maybe you can send me an email, what actually are you trying to get from me? Because if you want to know where to get on the speaker circuit, ring up Saxton's or ring up Fordham's, ring up one of the people who look after people who do the speaker circuits. I mean, that's pretty simple and that'll come down to how good you are or how much in demand you are, what your content is, what your subject matter is and uh, whether people are fucking interested or not. I mean, the bottom line. Um, and maybe they are, maybe they aren't. And maybe that's the reason he's not been able to get on the speaker circuit so far. That's pretty easy, that stuff. What I'm trying to really work out is what is he trying to do? How is he trying to leverage into 3,000 or 30,000 people outside of the speaker circuit? He needs to send me a note on that. I don't know what, it, what his game is. The next one, Mark, is Adam Anderson. He has an online business. It matches people who want to learn online with people who want to teach online. I'd like to receive some mentorship. Uh, some guidance and some feedback. Uh, I feel I've got a really good idea and a really good product. The only thing that concerns me is my execution. I've never done anything like this before and I don't want to blow everything I've worked on just because of my inexperience. Uh, two things that I'm curious about straight up are startup marketing and raising capital. Uh, I'm not sure about how much I should pump into startup marketing. My developers are saying that it's the most important phase and I should spend as much as possible in this stage. Yeah, he does need some capital. He needs some... Um intellectual capital as well, I think. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't, he lacks intellectual capital himself, but he needs some additional intellectual capital into his business. Um, I actually quite like these matching businesses where you act as an exchange, you match A with B. Um, you know, freelancers is a great example, one of the greatest examples that I know of. Um, in fact, I gave them many years ago the BRW, I was asked to be the judge in the BRW Small Business Awards or Startup Awards and uh, freelancer won it. Um, and I was a judge in that particular um um, environment, and that's a great matching platform. Um, so I think that uh, I like his idea. Um, he's trying to match up people. I, I get it. Uh, he's not going to be able to do it on his own. I thought his pitch was pretty good. Um, it wasn't too polished. So you don't want to be too polished in these pitch environments. You don't want to – otherwise it looks a bit slick. So he sort of gave it a little bit of awkwardness, which was good. Um Probably he's one of the guys I'd like to bring in here and uh, have a chat to, you know, and video him and uh, help him out with how he puts his pr uh, proposal up. He hasn't told me what the exit is, so he doesn't say in his pitch, how do I, How does someone who invests in this business exit out of the business? In other words, what's the long-term plan, five-year plan? How do I, how the hell do I get out? How do I uh, turn my 50 bucks into $500,000 if that's what I'm investing? Um, he hasn't done, a lot, done those sorts of things yet, but uh, maybe that's something I can coach him with. But I like his idea. I like his concept. Um, he needs some marketing power. He needs some operating power. He needs some a little bit more polish on the concept power. Great. Let's, uh, let's bring him in. Yep. Colin Grant, he's making moisturiser for men, Mark. It's called Aussie Manhand Moisturiser. What they're in fact doing is they're pre-selling the product. So they're taking orders, they're manufacturing, so they don't need capital but they do need knowledge. 
G'day Mark and everybody else who's watching. Thanks for taking the time to check out this video. We are deep in the man cave creating Aussie man hand moisturizer. Now, our product, we want to sell it in two ways. Obviously, we want to sell it online. We want to build a subscription base for the product so that people, when they order, they only have to place the order once and it turns up every 10 weeks. They don't have to think about it. It's right there when they need it. Uh, the other way we want to sell this product is through retail centers. We want to go into workwear places. We want to go into hardware centers. Anywhere where blokes are turning up and uh, purchasing other items, we want to be there right next to them. Uh, so what we're looking for to get this business off the ground is not capital. What we're doing is actually pre-selling the product. We want to get it out there pre-sold uh, so that we can uh, get the order in, manufacture the product, bottle it, ship it, and get it straight to them. Uh, so what we're looking for instead of capital is uh, actually um, knowledge. <laughs> what did you think of, uh, of his video? I'm not sure about the product, um, moisturiser for men. Um, my guess is the best way for this is to go and cuddle up to someone like Bunnings or Mitre Tan or one of those organisations and, and just get them to invest all the capital into his business. Um, and these organisations could sell the hand lotion or whatever it is to tradesmen, et cetera. And I really think that that whole tradesman environment, they're, they're the people, I guess, who need um, hand lotion. I mean, I don't, I don't use hand lotion myself, but... Uh, I'm just not sure how popular it would be. I'd be interested to know whether he's done any research on how much people want to use hand lotion. Um, but the way I reckon he should be doing it is he shouldn't – don't ever try to be a manufacturer in this environment. Don't try and set up an industrial company. This environment's too bloody hard. Um, give the idea, license the idea to somebody like Bunnings or Mitre Tan or one of these product providers for them to, to run into the stores – so for me, it's an intellectual property arrangement he has. He has, I guess he's worked out the manufacturing and the, the formula around his hand lotion. To me, it's a better offer if it was a licensing deal. Not one I want to interview. What about a straw poll, Jake? Hand cream for men? I moisturise. You moisturise? Nick? Nick, what about you? <clears throat> no. No, no. Okay. And you, Jess? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Head to toe. Yeah, girls do. Uh, <laughs> what do you moisturise, Jake, exactly? I embarrassingly use my wife's hand moisturiser, so I'd be happy to see one targeted towards men, so I don't but feel would so you, awkward. Would, yeah. you, would you take the step to go out and buy it if there was one for blokes? Uh, I think it's something that the wife would have to buy for me. Ah, yeah. ah, that's a very good point, actually, Mark, because maybe you need to be pitching it to women because it's women who are buying products like these for their men. Potentially. Correct. Potentially. That's why I was thinking, tra uh, you know, if the tradesman sort of got a, a free one every time he bought a, you know, a tool at um, Bunnings or Mitre 10, he got some moisturiser to go with the tool. Yeah, then you can use the excuse, oh, I didn't buy it, it came free. Yeah, yeah. It came free, it came free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once they love the and product, And it could be in a tube it. or something and yeah. it might be attached to the drill, you know, yeah. <laughs> or the drill bit, which is sort of like, okay, drag ourselves up off the gutter and into Alrighty. the next one. Uh, next is, uh, is Johnny. He's come up with the 3D slider puzzle. It's been 23 years in the making. He does have it, uh, it's been manufactured, but his big concern is marketing. And what, what's really interesting is he's just come off the back of an unsuccessful Kickstarter campaign. He approached TVs, radios, but they didn't, they didn't take it up. They weren't interested. I also hit the networks, um, Channel 7, 10, 9, ABC, Channel 2. Um, I also logoed products to their specific shows. Um, like um, the ACA, uh, the project, um, the living room, um, Channel Nine, uh, Sunrise. Again, it—it's it, never happened. Um, it didn't get traction at all. And at the end of the day, it was one of those things that um, 
was disappointing. Um, thinking that I can actually produce a product and, and no one's really interested in having a, having a having a say and giving it a go. So again, what I need from you is is, is some sort of uh, guidance in regards to taking it to market. Um, the product itself, in its um, it took out the gold medal in Geneva. It's had some marvelous you know coverage, but it's never equated to sales. Uh, my website is slider.com.au. First thing is I did not get to see the 3D puzzle that he had. I mean, he didn't even show it to me. Um, all he did was talk and I sort of saw the top of it for one second. Mate, show me the fucking thing that you're trying to promote. Um, that's the first thing I would say to him. So I can't really comment on how good his stuff is because I never even saw it. He didn't demonstrate to me. The first thing you should have gone and got, bang, quick demonstration, how it works. And two, what are the benefits of it? And three, how do I sell it? Now, he's gone and seen Channel 9, 7, 10, SBS, ABC, uh, all the uh, uh, radio stations, et cetera, et cetera. And he, got, he reckons he got a mention on one of the radio stations, but they stuffed up, stuff it up. They sort of described it the wrong way. Son, that's not where you get funding from. Radio stations, TV stations and newspapers are not going to give you venture funding. So that's not a Kickstarter program. You need to go and see the people who actually fund these things. So go and find out who funded the Rubik's Cube originally. Go and find out who's funding all the latest and greatest new toys that are around the place and pitch to them. You're pitching to the wrong people. I can't say whether I want to get him in here or not, Jess, because I don't know what the hell it is he's showing everyone. I haven't seen this three-dimensional thing. And by the way, he should have shown me the three-dimensional thing in two dimensions, which is called YouTube, and I could have made a decision whether he should come in or not. Maybe he wants to have another crack at it. But, son, you're going to the wrong organisations in terms of your Kickstarter program, which is why you were unsuccessful in your marketing of the program. You need to go to different people, people with the money who invest these things. You know, you go to a radio station, they're only going to talk about you if you're advertising with them. You want to you want to advertise? That's fine. They'll talk about you, but they're not going to talk about you otherwise. Mark Paul Penman, he's created the Animal Be Aware System or ABAS. It's a fixed board along the side of the road that emits high frequency noise that warns animals from basically from going on the road, and it's aimed at reducing car accidents. There was quite a big problem with this video though, and it was the audio. Hi, Mark. How would you like to save lives and make money at the same time by reducing the level of road accidents and deaths involving animals? In America, the costs... Yeah, the audio wasn't good. I, I couldn't... It was a bit grainy. I couldn't quite... I mean, I, I guess, Paul, you should have probably listened to this, mate, before you sent it over to me. Um, but it doesn't matter. Like, I sort of got the general sense of it. And I'm, it it's more a a product that government would want to use, I think. Um, you know, it's, you know, maybe you've got to pitch it to the Department of Transport or Motor Transport or whatever they're called or, or you know, one of these uh, wildlife environments that, um, you know, protect wildlife. Um, I think one's called WIRES um, in New South Wales, at least it's called WIRES. Um, I'm not sure, though, again, like how big a business idea it is. I, I, I note you said uh, you have a very strong uh, Scottish accent, but I notice you said that there are, uh, millions of these all around the world, um, and that the, and and that uh, millions of accidents, I should say, all around the world, and that um, it's costing globally billions of dollars. So what you're saying to me is there's demand for introducing something that would actually um, reduce the amount of money that's spent on accidents, these sorts of accidents. Um, 
But whether or not you're going to get a government with an appetite to spend that sort of money, I don't know the answer to that. And uh, I don't really see how we can make money out of it, what the commercial aspect of it is. But it seems like a pretty good idea for governments to invest in. Problem is, you know, like everywhere in the world, governments don't have any money these days, mate, and uh, they're probably going to try and send you off to get someone else to invest in it. I'm not sure about that one. Uh, it's probably doesn't it doesn't really sort of excite me in a commercial sense. Um, so out of all those, Jess, I really quite like – I'd like to have another look at the, the slider thing. Um, if he – you know, he needs to show it to me, though, to show me what it is I'm looking at because I, I don't know what the deal is. Um, I, I quite like um, the online business, the matching business. Um, mm, that's Adam. Adam. Yeah. That's pretty good. So uh, probably – and Colin sort of got me a little bit mm-hmm. excited. Um, but you'd have to be, as you say, making sure that women are interested in uh, buying it for their man and or – Men get it as part of a packaging arrangement for free when they buy themselves some tools. So out of all those, I I reckon the guy I want to talk to is Adam, but I'm sort of – it's a a close um, race between him and Gianni. So uh, maybe Gianni could actually send me something else in and explain to me what the 3D slider actually looks like. It's I know he said he, – look, he told me there's a website and I go to the website. I'm not going to the website, dude. Um, you send to me something. God, I don't have time to do that. So you send me something and uh, I'll have a look at it again. So you know, send me some stuff, a bit more YouTube demo, a couple of minutes on YouTube. Maybe he should send you one too. Yeah, send me one of the things. And, and like, as you're saying, I'm a mad rooster supporter. If you reckon you can reskin these, skin one of the roosters and see what we can do with it. Mark, we've received hundreds and hundreds of emails from people supportive of the podcast, interested in the articles that you've been writing for news.com. And, uh, and this one from, from Warren Jones. He's the chairman of Total Tools Holdings. He wants you to run for Prime Minister. Ha. But, but he's, he's also wondering what he can do to help the Fair Go campaign. He wants to get involved and, uh, and push for better support and recognition for small business. G'day, Warren. I know you. Um, you, know, you, you pitched to me... Um an information memorandum a long time ago, and you, you, I, it's great to see you doing so well now and that, with terrific turnover after a couple of years of operating. Fantastic. Well done, mate. I think he comes from Victoria. Um, and by the way, he's not the same Warren Jones who was the strategist for Australia too when we won the America's Cup, uh, different Warren Jones. In fact, that Warren Jones is now deceased, um, great friend of mine. Okay, Warren, mate, your idea is a good idea. What you've actually given me the opportunity to do is uh, take pause and reflect on tradies. So what we're going to do, off the back of your, your idea to me, is we're going to have a tradies month. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in a tradesman each week for four weeks and I'm going to bring the best of breed in. So let's say, for example, we can find a plumber who has got a great business. He's got a great website. Um, he's got uh, um, good people on the ground, got good operations, good logistics, has a good product a good reputation, a good brand, um, and is just smashing them, killing them. I want to bring that particular plumber in, and if you're a tradesperson, you can listen as to why he's done so well. In other words, it's not somebody pitching to me about, Mark, well, how can you help me? I'm actually talking to someone so he, you, the listener, can find out how he can help you as a tradesman. So we're going to have a tradesman's month. Um, so we'll bring in a plumber, maybe an electrician, uh, you know, maybe a concreter or a builder, and uh, maybe a carpenter or something like that. So we'll work it out. We'll find four. I um, mean, we've already got a plumber in mind, so we'll bring in a plumber. Nick, you got someone in mind? 
Mitch Pogson from Pogson Plumbing. Okay, sounds cool. We'll bring him in. He's got a good business, as I understand it. And let's just get them to tell us why the business is so good. And by the way, it's a free opportunity for these guys to pitch their business to anyone who's listening. But equally, um, if you're listening and you're trying to work out what tricks they're doing to make them so successful, then let's tell everybody. Once again, we want to be the exchange for moving information across from successful to people who want to be successful. Moving information from people who want money to people who want to invest money and vice versa. Entrepreneurs Insight. Okay, uh, well, this is called Entrepreneurial Entrepreneurial Insights. Uh, So what's my insight? Well, my reflection is um, the third question that Kerry Packer asked me back in um, 1999. So the third question was, let's just backtrack. The first question is, what business are you in? That's the first question he asked me. The second question, he said, have you ever failed in business? And I answered that one. We spoke about that a couple of episodes ago. The third question is, um, how far are you prepared to go? In other words, have you got what it takes to make this successful? Bear in mind, he's about to invest money into me. I've given his great pitch. He's accepted the pitch or all these people have accepted the pitch. He wants to know have I got what it takes to make that pitch into a reality. In other words, execution ability, the ability to execute. And when I, when, when I was asked this question, of course, the obvious answer the, to, to Kerry was, you know, uh, in the affirmative, yes, I do have what it takes. Of course, he knew I was going to say that, and he said, oh, I knew you'd say that. And he said, well, are you prepared to make an acquisition in the wizard business? In other words, can you, go, you wizard, go and buy this business? And this business that he wanted me to buy was the business that supplied us. It was our wholesale business. It wasn't ours. It was someone else's. It was owned by a big bank. And um, so I had to go and buy this business. And I said, yeah, well, of course I'm prepared to buy that. And I knew that I needed to buy this wholesale business because it was supplying us. Um, now, I didn't expect Kerry to ask for that. And Kerry then said, I knew you'd say that, son. He said, so why don't we do it this way? Um, you have to buy the whole business or a controlling interest in that business as a condition precedent to the whole deal happening. Um, and if you don't, I want my money back in one year. So he basically gave me a year to achieve the acquisition of this business that was wholesaling us. Now, let's just step back a second. I mean, that was fairly confronting because here I got is Kerry Packer basically saying to me, son, I'm going to make you accountable for something you've pitched to me. You know, you've said that you will buy this business or a controlling interest in, in this business or an influential interest in this business and I'm obviously said yes. So you know, we all in business, startups, etc. We always say yes to everyone for everything. What we had situation here is we had someone like Kerry Packer holding me accountable for my statement, and that's a really important thing. The accountability is one of the most important things in making something happen in an execution sense. Because it's all very well for us to have a great idea and to pitch it up and to make it look sexy, and and, and you've got all the stuff to back it up. You've got all the stats to back it up, all the research to back it up. Um, you're in the right market. You've got a rising tide in terms of, in my case, it was you know, liquidity, global liquidity. Um, you know, all the hallmarks of having a successful business on the face of it are there. The thing that Kerry Packer wanted to know is, did you have the ability to do it? Do you have what it takes to make it happen? Which, by the way, ended up becoming the, um, the title of my book, What It Takes. So my – and an obvious – Obviously, everybody who is pitching these ideas is always going to say, yes, I do have what it takes. So, you know, if you don't, you don't believe in yourself, you don't back yourself, you wouldn't be there in the first place. 
What he then went was he went one step further. You're accountable. And if you don't do it, there's a penalty. And the question for him was, would I accept the penalty? And then what he did is he made me accountable every month. So every month we'd all go and have to line up all the various companies that he invested in and he would ask you the question, how are you going with that thing I made you accountable for? Not, not how the business is going. You know, that, that's, that was part of what you would pitch every month. You'd say, look, the business is doing this and it's all going according to plan and this is what the business model said and the financial model said. But he would ask you at the end of each one and say, how are you going with the acquisition, son? Have you bought that company? And he was relentless about it. He was relentless in his making me accountable to him. And I used to think it was quite a precarious situation. Now, if you're going into small business and you want to pitch up to one of these investors or a group of investors, do not be surprised if they hold that sword of Damocles over your head and be prepared to accept it because it is a quite a precarious situation. If you haven't got the fortitude to hang in there with that sword just dangling over your head all the time, then don't do it. But it's that sword that's dangling over your head that actually sorts out those who are fair income and those who are pretenders. So Kerry continually had $25 million sword of Damocles sitting on top of my head for 12 months. And bottom line is we got to where we wanted to get to and we got the deal done. And fortunately for me, his insight into making me do something actually became one of the greatest value propositions of our whole business, which is why we sold for so much money. So Wizard, without this thing that Kerry made me acquire, was never going to be the same. Wizard, together with the wholesale business, was a huge business. And I put that down to Kerry Packer's foresight. I just want to talk about the sword of Damocles just for a moment. Uh, Damocles, in legendary sense, was a, a courtier. He was someone who sat in the court of a king in the 400 BC, around that period, in the court of Dionysius in a part of Italy which was controlled by Greece in those days and the Greeks in those days. And Damocles would go along to Dionysius and say to him how fantastic it was. So, you know, you had these people called, you know, what we would call them cheerleaders today. They would walk around and say, you're so powerful, you're so smart, you're so cool, you're so this, you know, blah, blah. And, of course, he got paid for that. That was his job. I mean, he probably just got paid bed, bed and breakfast or something, but they, that's what he got paid to do. And Dionysius, Dionysius used to lap this up. And one day this courtier called Damocles was actually telling Dionysius how smart he was and Dionysius knew the futility in what Damocles was saying. He said to Damocles, look, how would you like to sit in my chair or more importantly to walk in my shoes? And, and there's a lot of references here to, you know, what small business owners do and what someone like I do, I've done. How would you actually like to walk in my shoes? Have you ever walked in my shoes? You're a budding entrepreneur. Would you like to walk in my shoes? Well, listen to this story because what Damocles said, said, yes, yes, you know, whatever your worship, I would like to walk in your shoes. I would like to sit in that seat. So, Demi- uh, so Dionysius said, okay, you can. So he put him in the seat. Dionysius walked across and stood on the side he put the crown on Damocles' head, but above his head, with a single strand of a horse hair, he dangled a sword. And that sword was always dangling above Damocles' head. Now, the story behind this legend is this. If you want to achieve success and you're hungering for power, the flip side of that or the downside of that is you always have this sword hanging over your head if you fuck up. 
That's what failure's about. That's called accountability. And that's something you better be prepared to take. And that's what Kerry Packer was trying to say to me. Son, are you prepared to have the sword of Damocles or Kerry Packer hanging over your head? Because that's real accountability. So those people who are trying to pitch startup businesses, new businesses, be prepared to have your head cut off if it doesn't fucking work. And if you're not prepared to do that, you're in the wrong game. Now, this is pretty heavy stuff. I know it sounds a bit serious. Bottom line is we've got to stop kidding ourselves. It's a pretty tough game being in small business. It's a pretty tough game doing startups. It's a pretty tough game being an entrepreneur, and you've got to be pretty tough. And that is best expressed by that story about Damocles. And, of course, Damocles in the end said, look, it's too hard. I don't want to be here anymore. And he bolted and he, became back, he went back to being a courtier, someone who just, you know, was a suck and basically told uh, Dionysius how important he was. And Dionysius taught him the lesson. Now, this has been written about by Cicero. Cicero wrote about this in, um, you know, I, I think 200 AD or something like that in his what they call the Disputations, which is Cicero's treatise on how you live your life. And on the last chapter of Cicero's Disputations, chapter 5, he talked about the importance of living your life. And he said, the most important thing you want to achieve is not power, not all this success we all chase after, but more importantly, virtue. And if you have a virtuous life, like a good life, then it is far better than seeking this life where you've got the sword of Damocles hanging over your head because nobody is happy who lives in fear. It's quite an important thing to get into perspective when you want to make sure, when you're trying to be the big name, you want to be the entrepreneur, you want to be the Bill Gates, you want to do the next Yahoo, you want to do the next Google, you want to be the next Microsoft or whoever you want to be. Just remember, it's a rough, rough road and it's not carved out for everybody. Ask Mark. Tweet Mark with your questions at Mark Boris, M-A-R-K-B-O-U-R-I-S. Mark, in amongst the videos that we've been receiving from people pitching, we've also had loads of emails, loads of tweets, people just wanting advice. And, uh, and this, one, uh, this one really got me. This, uh, this guy's name is Edward. He wants some advice. He's got an idea for a crowdfunding website. Uh, he's also a father. He has a five-month-old son. He's about to get back into full-time work. He's just moved up to Sydney from Melbourne. He doesn't have any family support here. He's wondering how, how he can get ahead Well, that's a, that's a tough question, Jess. But I, I think the first thing is this, mate. You know, you need to get some income. You need to have cash flow in your household. That's the first thing. You got a kid. You got a missus. Maybe the missus can go out to work. I don't know. Um, someone's got to go out and work, make some money. So, you know, if, if it's if it can't be your wife, because she has to say mind the child, that's fine. Then you have to get a day job and do this shit at night. Uh, there's there's no way out of it. You got to have a cash flow, whatever you're doing. The second thing is you might have a, a few unique ideas and some great stuff going on there. Uh, you know. Good on you. Um, that's that's cool. Uh, I I don't know how you're going to manage your time. I mean, you just, I, I I guess what I would do if I was in your case, I'd be saying, okay, there's I've got to sleep for five hours or six hours a night. I'm prepared to do that. Tick. Um, um, I don't have to look after my child because you know that's going to be completely done by my wife or however you make the arrangements. So I don't have to worry about that. Um, so that's tick sacrifice. Um, and uh, I'm going to develop this thing after work. So I work eight hours a day, so I work from, you know, seven till three. Um, that's my eight hours. Um, then at, th- at 3.30, I get straight on the tools and start building, uh, creating my idea, and I just stick with it until 10, 11 o'clock at night, and I do that seven days a week. That's how you manage your time, mate. You just <laughs> build it out into sections, and you just go for it. 
you know, go for it means, you know, like that, that whole thing, um, just do it, Nike's thing, you know, Nike, N-I-K-E, you know, it's derived, you know, Nike was a goddess and uh, she was a goddess of victory in Greek mythology and uh, the word uh, N-I-C, Nike, uh, which is the Greek word for victory. Victory comes about as a result of just doing it, having a crack. And uh, so don't ask any more questions, just go and do it. Um, stop pondering, thinking, you know, planning, just fucking do it. You've got 24 hours in the day, you've got eight hours to work, five hours to sleep, the rest, you have a go, just do it. Mark, uh, this uh, Don has written in. He says he literally doesn't know where to start. He's got a great idea for an online business, but he's scared to take the leap and quit his day job. Any tips, he says, to quell my fear? Yeah, well, your fear mate is right. You can't quit your day job. You need cash flow. You've got to pay rent or you've got to pay your mortgage or whatever you've got to do. You've got to eat. You know, no one's going to throw money at you. So don't quit your day job. That's, you know, your instinct of, of fear is correct. Don't quit your day job. Day job. I just talked about this. So the game here is to say, okay, let me carve my time up. What I would be doing is I'd be quitting my social life because that's what entrepreneurs do. They quit everything else outside of those things that create cash flow. Again, if your day job finishes at 5 p.m., I don't care what time it finishes, it's irrelevant. The next section of your 24 hours in each day is to be devoted to your online business. Keep your day job, therefore that gets rid of your fear, and get to work and quit all those other things that take up all the rest of your time. No more television, no more radio, no more hanging out in bars, no more socialising, no more going to the footy. Just do your online job. That's it. Mark, I've been listening to, to what you've been talking about today and I wonder what level of obsession do you need to succeed? Well, it's a – I have this thing where I talk about paranoia. You, you have to not be paranoid but you have to have a level of paranoia in your process which is bordering on obsession um, and, you know, you've got to be careful. It can become an unhealthy obsession that it becomes destructive. So in my case, um, I think that it would be fair to say that my obsession with what I'm doing, what I'm preparing for, whether in business, um, becomes so inclusive that it is destructive. It destroys everything around me. So it destroys all my relationships. So um, it's not a necessarily a healthy thing. It, it is if you're just seeking to succeed in the particular aspect, that particular one aspect of your life. Um, but equally on the flip side of it, um, in a holistic sense, it's probably not necessarily good for you. I mean, Jake was talking about earlier about, uh, you know, like people going to business because they think they're going to make a whole lot of money in order to retire. Um, that to me doesn't work. Um, for me, you're going into a business and you're promoting and prosecuting your idea to turn it into a business for the purpose of the obsession you're feeding every day. So you continually feed that obsession every day and the more you feed it, the, the more it requires to be fed and you become addictive and addicted to it. So you're pitching it to everybody. We, we talked about the process of pitching. You know, whenever you're pitching, if you want to go and do a pitch to somebody to raise money, you go and see the billionaire and you want to raise some money with him or her. Um, what you before you get there, you'd be pitching at everyone you talk to, your family, people in the street. It becomes you become obsessed with this whole thing, and uh, those sorts of people actually uh, hone their skills at pitching and become very, very polished at what they're doing. You know, Bruce Bilson is obsessed. The minister 
the evangelical minister, is obsessed with, with what he's talking about. That's why he's so good at talking about it. That's why the Sydney Morning Herald is ref- referring to him as an evangelist. That's why, you know, the Prime Minister refers to him as the pastor of small business. The guy's obsessed with what he's doing That's what, and he understands the topic. I'm not really sure of how healthy that is for somebody, um, but it will work in terms of what he's trying to prosecute. And it's quite an interesting position to be in. You've got to, and that's what feeds my obsession is my fear of failure. So I won't let myself fail. So, and that is when we go back to where I started from, that's the sort of Damocles hanging over my head. I'm worried about what happens once that horsehair breaks and that sword lunges into the back of my head. Um, and I, it constantly drives my need to not be a failure, which drives my obsession, which drives my outcomes. Um, and I, I guess, you know, I, I'm not proud to say this, but I've actually become very honed at this obsession. But equally, um, it makes me uh, an outlier in terms of social environments. I have to stand outside a lot of things that I do. And, and you know, it pisses people off. Um, you know, you, you get so insular that you start to think about only one thing, one thing alone. Um, I said earlier, if you want to, you know, run one of these things, you have your day job and you work, you know, five, six hours every every other day after your day job, which means you don't have a social life. Um, and with that comes a lot of penalties. It's sort of an interesting process. There are some people, though, who are very balanced at doing it. So, but most of the guys I know who have been super successful are these sorts of people. They have this destructive sort of notion in their obsession it's, uh, but there are others like Bill Gates, for example. He's managed to maintain a wonderful relationship his whole life, family, kids, um, and I don't know. Maybe he's just more intelligent than the rest of us, or he has a you know a greater understanding of himself. Perhaps, maybe he just doesn't have that personality trait that sort of is destructive. I don't know where what it is, where it comes from. Um, wasn't me as a kid, that's for sure. Um, it's something I've sort of developed over time, and I got rewarded for it, and I keep doing it. Can you pinpoint where that happened in your life, Mark? Not really. Um, I was a dreamy kid, quiet, you know, just wandering around, never had much ambition. I wasn't thinking about much. I just, I just, I think it grew on me. Um, and like, you know, I'm a mad believer in the neuroscience of um, how you develop habits and, and your behaviour is largely driven by your habits and the habits are neurologically built. In other words, the um, neurotransmitters in your brain develop and develop, develop, and you just keep rewarding them and developing them and they just get sort of not bigger but they become dominant and um, the more you do it, the more you're going to do it and the better at it you become. And neurologically, you become that story. You become that person. And uh, this is why some some people say, you know, every 10 years we change because maybe it takes 7 to 10 years neurologically to build that process in your brain, that that habit-forming process in your brain at something that you get rewarded for. You know, bad habits equally get rewarded. Um, so, you know, I, I'd say it's neurologically based and um, I changed over time in parcels of 10 years. So probably 20 to 30, I, I started to change and I headed in the same direction, 30 to 40, 40 to 50. So, and, but each time I just embedded these, these processes of how I operate and, uh, so it happened over a twenty or thirty year period, Jess, and um, you know, and I'm not proud to say that I have have left a lot of debris around me as I've gone through the process, lots of debris. But you know, that's the cost of doing what I do. 
That's what I do. I don't know how the hell to change them, and I don't have another 30 years to reverse it, that's for sure. Uh, someone would say to me, uh, look, make a conscious decision, Mark. Um, you know what you have done or what you are like. Change. That's easier said than done. That means I've got to break a whole lot of habits, and that takes a lot of effort. It's like a drug addict. I get rewarded for what I do. Drug addicts get rewarded for taking drugs. Um, I just don't take drugs. I just run businesses. And whether or not I have the ability to reverse everything or whether I actually want to reverse everything, I don't, don't think I do. I don't think I want to go through that process of changing. Sitting in the position you are now, would you change anything? No, because I can't. I don't, think I, I don't have the will to do it. I, I just don't want to do it. I don't see the purpose of it. To satisfy others' observation of me in terms of how it may affect them, my change, um, I just don't see the point in it. Does that mean I'm going to become unhappy during the process? Um, and I, I guess that's why, why drug addicts decide, well, I'm not going to stop taking heroin. You know, they become self-destruct. I mean, and it's, it, by the way, you know, that's what exercising our free will is all about. You know, we make that call. And uh, by the way, you take all the consequences to go with it. You know, the consequences are that, that uh, you lose something in the process. Now, there are some would say that we actually have no choice. So a, neuro, a lot of neuroscientists, a lot of neuroscience today is um, coming out saying that there is no such thing as free choice. Um, or choice. Um, of course, the religious people would always say there is a choice. But there's been a lot of um, imaging done, MRI scans done on people's brains, that part of your brain that makes decisions on certain things, that has shown that the decision to do something has been imaged to happen slightly before you make the actual decision. So you, so let's say you're laying in an MRI machine and you're asked to press a button every time you have to make a decision. They show that the decision is actually made for you neurologically. So your brain makes it based on experiences and instincts as opposed to being a proper thought process of I'm going to choose between right and wrong with this and that. So that – and that's because there's been a build-up in your, you know, in, your, in your neurons and in neurotransmissions. And um, what's interesting about that is that it means that maybe we don't actually have the choice. Maybe we just can't change. Some people just can't change. And I think prob- probably I'm in that category. But it'd be interesting to get someone like um, Professor Ian Hickey in here who's a director of the – Mind and Brain Research Institute of the University of Sydney. He's a fascinating guy, as, by the way, is his wife is a psychiatrist. Both fascinating. I dinner with him a couple of weeks ago. Um, but he comes at um, psychology and psychiatry from, from a completely different uh, point of view, just from a science point of view, um, as opposed to the uh, more ephemeral process of trying to work out, you know, why someone did something, um, you know, and what, what's it got to do with, uh, you know, all the other psychiatric, sort of usual psychiatric processes. He's from more from a chemical, electrochemical, mechanical, uh, et cetera, process. And um, he's a fascinating guy. So it'd be great to hear what he's got to say about this concept of choice and how a brain makes choices, perhaps, before we actually make a conscious decision. Professor Ian Hickey, I'm going to try and get him in here. Looking forward, this is the week ahead. 
Jess, what have we got coming up next week? We, any sort of data coming up? We do. We have uh, the rates decision, RBA rates decision on Tuesday, so right. it'll be important to see if it goes below 2%, and the GDP figures on Wednesday. But we also have a very special guest, Angela Mentis from NAB. Okay, Angie's uh, she's a very, very cool person. Um, Angie runs that part of National Australia Bank, which is the business banking side of Australia Bank, National Australia Bank, which is the largest business banking unit in Australia, bigger than all the other banks. National Australia Bank has made a long-term commitment for many, many years, going back 15 years, to be number one in business banking. That means they lend more money to people in business. Uh, they back more people in business. They have more business tools than anyone else. They have a whole process of established that look after business banking customers and or clients. Now, Angie runs that. So she's one of the most powerful banking people in this country, without a doubt. She's Sydney-based, but most of the time she spends down in Melbourne. So she's actually given us some time to come and have a chat to us next week. Um, I want to find out a little bit about Angie. I mean, I know a little bit about Angie, but I want to talk to her and get let our listeners know a little bit about what drives her. I mean, why does the bank actually want to chase this stuff? Is it because it's more profitable or is it because they actually have a view on business banking in this country? They want to do the right thing by business banking customers and or clients. So what's the sort of stuff that they got on offer? I mean, why are they better than what St. George is doing? You know, George Fraser, St. George used to run the same unit at NAB. Now he's at St. George. He's chasing the same market. Got nowhere near the market share that NAB have got. Why is she better at doing what she's doing than what George Fraser is doing in St. George? How competitive are these guys? I mean, do they hate each other? Do they love each other? Are they are friendly competitors? Is it like Wendell Saylor arm wrestling Matt Cooper on the footy show? I mean, how's it all work? Um, and uh, let's get a bit of insight into her background. Like, what's her background? Personal. Where'd she come from? You know, she had some experience in small business. A bit like we asked Bruce Bilson. Do you understand small business? Do you understand business generally? How did you get that appointment? Where were you in the bank before this? Who do you answer to? Who, what's your team look like? You know, have you got a lot of people who are experts on small business banking and small business problems? How open are you to helping out small business in this country? Jake, we've gone through some of the videos this week, but we really want people to send in more videos, more pictures. Now that Mark has gone through, given some advice on what worked and what didn't work, we need people to upload their videos to YouTube. Tell them, how easy is it? Top right-hand corner of the front page of YouTube, big upload button. Just click it. If you don't already have an account, use your Gmail account to log in. Um, otherwise, it takes two seconds to set up. Follow the steps. So, so simple. You can even do it from your mobile phone if you've got the YouTube app. doesn't need to be anything fancy. As long as we can hear and understand you, share the link to mb at markboris.com.au and we'll check it out. And a really important tip from Mark to make sure you watch it back before you send it in. Make sure that the audio is good and the video quality is good too. And right. show me what the hell it is you're promoting. What are you, what, what, what are you pitching? <laughs> Give me a look at it. Just don't look, give me a, I know someone is sit there looking at your melon, talking to me. Um, I need to see something. So give me a look at something. It is video, by the way. Great. Thanks, guys. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark Boris. And find out more at markboris.com.au. 